Welcome to the 12th installment of the Injury Report. I am your host, Joe Brenner, and I am speaking to you from Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. It's about halfway between Madison and Milwaukee. It is the home place, or the uh, place my father grew up, so the other Joe Brenner. And I'm up here with some friends and my sister and her friends, and we're all going to the Summerfest concert tonight going to go listen to MGK. So I've been studying up on his discography lately. As far as the sports world goes, I'm finally going to get into the MLB after we congratulate the Colorado Avalanche on winning their first Stanley Cup in a long time. I don't think it was their first one ever. The first one in a long time. And as far as injuries go there, there was a video of one of the other players helping right wing Valeri Nichushkin off of the ice in their game six victory. And uh, he, he didn't look very healthy there. He was looked to be like in a lot of pain. He had to be helped off of the ice. He crumpled in on the defensive end. And there is an x-ray that he had, I guess there was talk about his foot injury and he had just wrapped it up. It was all black and blue. And he had a very, very severe and clear broken first metatarsal. So that's that long bone right on the inside of your foot, kind of where your um, big toe kind of connects to your foot, that bone right kind of down the middle. He had a very severe break. So again, hockey, it's crazy that with whenever injuries happen, other sports usually know kind of what's going on right away at least the severity so you might not know exactly what they might not leak exactly what uh, bone is broken but if it's a broke break versus a fracture you usually know not here I think they said it was a sprain wrapped it up and then got the x-rays later so congrats to him and all those guys on the Stanley Cup I'm getting into baseball we're gonna start with Philadelphia moneymaker Bryce Harper he fractured his thumb after being hit by a pitch the other day. It was actually coming kind of up towards his face, and he broke uh, his thumb kind of protecting himself. I think it was his left thumb curled around the bat. And they said he is having surgery. I could not find where uh, in the in his hand he broke it or where the which bone it was. But if he required surgery... It was probably in the joint area, probably intra-articular, because normally, if you know, if it's just one of the tarsals or metatar or phalanges or the metatarsal there, it you it usually should be able to just grow pretty regularly on its own. The only reason you'd need to have surgery if it wasn't taken care of right away, and he hasn't played since, and I'm sure he had imaging on it right away. So, like I, I just broke my first um metatarsal or metacarpal sorry in my hand and had to have a pin in it but that's because I played another two weeks on it and I thought it was a sprain and had somebody pulling on it and that just made things worse kind of rotated it a little bit but if I would have just left it alone it probably would have you know got not left it alone but got the imaging and the cast and everything that would have been fine in about 
you know, four to six weeks without the surgery. So it was probably a little bit of articular. The fact that it is his um, left hand helps a little bit with the baseball aspect of throwing and everything. You still need to be able to close your hand with the glove, but that's just as much finger strength as it is your thumb and the gripping the bat. Again, your a lot of your power comes from your thumb and your pinky, but that's not very fine motor movement. So as long as he still has most of the strength in that joint, he doesn't need as all the fine motor capabilities. For the former Boston Red Sox and current Los Angeles Dodger, Mookie Betts, he cracked his ribs colliding in the outfield. We've talked about ribs before with a teammate, uh, Cody Bellinger. We've talked about ribs before. The only thing you can really do about that is rest. He's going to be back within the week. You know, this happened a while ago. I haven't been, as we've talked about, all up to date in the MLB world. And he has been in both batting practice and throwing practice. He's taken some reps. So he, he'll be fine. It, it's just a little bit of a soreness thing. And baseball is not usually a contact sport. So once he can manage to do the uh, get through those, and they, it does require a lot of upper body torque and motion. The throwing and the hitting both require a lot of core strength and puts a lot of torque and um, force on those your spine and those muscles right there it takes a lot of power there so once he can manage that that's pretty much it's just probably more likely a tolerance thing than it is a real structural issue the other dodger player on my list today is walker bueller who's having osteophytes or bone spurs removed from his pitching elbow he could be back as soon as August, but I'm thinking it's going to be longer. So the bone spurs are just places of growth. They're usually from um, osteoarthritis or a degenerative joint disease. Pretty much just all the stress that he puts on that joint. So when you break a bone, there's the old wives' tale. It's actually kind of true that it grows back stronger because it's been under the stress before and that's why the one of the big ways to maintain muscle mass and not get hurt as you age is to continue to lift weights the more strength that you have or strain that you have on your bones the stronger the more resources your body will divert to making them strong so that way there are no injuries so if he puts his uh, elbow under that torque you know that UCL, that Tommy John and all that, there's just so much strain from both the muscles and the ligaments on that place that new bone is being formed and it can just get out of control a little bit and you can get those osteophytes in there and that just then, you know, it is a joint too where he's got to be able to have a real smooth motion um, in and out and if anything gets caught in there, it could just cause a lot of pain and then probably some damage too if one of the muscles that runs over or connects around the joint area is affected, one of the tendons or even one of the ligaments if they're rubbing against that. You don't want to have to have surgery for that later where you're cleaning that up too. So he might be, he'll probably, uh, he could be back for the playoffs if the Dodgers are still hanging on, which, you know, they've been rolling fine without him. 
So uh, I expect him to be fine, but really they just go in there and kind of shave that down a little bit. They're most likely going to come back if this is an ongoing thing. But if this is the first time he's had it in his career so far, maybe he can make it uh, just kind of prolong his career without having to see any of these ligamentous or um, tendinous injuries. Then going to the New York Mets for another pair of star injuries. We have Jacob deGrom, who he has a right scapula stress reaction. I think we talked about this earlier. So a stress reaction is just the when the there's a lot of force on the same spot over and over. It's almost like a stress fracture, but it's just a weakening of the bone right there. It's not really a fracture, a bend, or a malformation as much as it just is a weakening and it just causes a lot of pain. The only way to really heal that is rest. Uh, he's on the 60-day DL. He has been, but he threw 27 pitches live in batting practice. So he's making his way back. And then the other New York Mets pitcher is Max Scherzer, who we talked about that oblique, that um, opposite side of your throwing hand oblique strain that kind of pulls your body forward. You know, you stretch it way out to, in the wind-up, in the stretch, to get um, your body going, and then you pull, use your oblique to kind of pull that upper body through, start that, uh, it's kind of the middle, after you get the lower body planted, then the oblique kind of starts the upper body aspect of that rubber band to create as much torque and force so that ball can whip out of that hand as fast as possible. So he has been pitching in the double-A, and the Mets in first place have the ability to bring back two very good pitchers that have not really contributed to their success this year in time for the playoffs if everything goes according to schedule. So those guys will be back. And then my last pair of teammates for the day, Fernando Tatis, we talked about. He, has the, he had the broken wrist in the motorcycle accident at the end of last year, calendar year, and then he broke his scaphoid bone in his wrist which is the oblong bone that has uh, one entry point of blood supply and if that fracture happens and there's no blood supply then they need to go in with surgery and help that out so maybe the surgery might actually allow him to be able to come back faster because on its own it really wasn't going to help I think that's why there was such you know like what's going on why are we waiting on him so He'll, he's um, going to be progressing to swinging a bat in the next two weeks. It sounds like he's on schedule. And then Manny Machado, his teammate, sprained an ankle. Um, and he, he's been out eight weeks with rest. I think he's actually back now. He just made his first return. But he just was resting an ankle. So some of the more competitive teams, the Mets, Dodgers, and Padres are all without or bringing back some highest firepower, and it just makes you wonder about the rest of the majors who can't compete with them even without their best players. What's, or not their best players, but some strong contributors, what's going on out there, and, you know, is it really just all the best, the teams with the most money are going to win it because that's just not, uh, it's not fun that way, and that's how it seems to have been the last couple of years for sure. Moving on to the AL Central, we have the Kansas City Royals 
Salvador Perez, he has a thumb UCL injury. So the UCL is the ulnar collateral ligament. And if you look, it's kind of like in your elbow. So the ulnar collateral ligament is on not the first bone of your thumb, the furthest one away, but the second one, the proximal phalange, not the distal, but the proximal. And when you move that thumb in and out, it's the one. So there's the, you can see like your second knuckle there on the, if you're pointing your, looking at the back of your hand, the one on the outside is your radial collateral ligament. On the inside is your ulnar. That's, you know, the ulnar side is on your pinky side. And that's just like your elbow. It kind of keeps that joint stable as it goes uh, in and out. And it's, it works kind of the same way. You can see that um, it, just like the thumb or just like the elbow, it's a stupid joint. It just goes up and down where you get that the rest of the motion for your thumb is actually the saddle joint at the um, carpal and metacarpal junction, not the metatarsal tarsal junction. So it has a little bit of in-out movement, but it's really, or side-to-side movement, but it's really just up and down like your elbow. And he's nursing that. He's going to have to have surgery on that, and that's going to be eight to ten weeks there. The Atlanta Braves, Ozzy Albies has a broken foot. He, You can look up the video. It's really weird. He just kind of swings, and I think it's a foul ball, and just goes down. He might have put it in play. He didn't make it first. But um, he just kind of goes down with uh, his plant foot, and he they confirmed it was a broken foot, a foot fracture, but there wasn't a whole lot. I couldn't find exactly what. There's some speculation that could be a Jones fracture, or that fifth metatarsal that we talked about, where a lot of things kind of come together. There's a lot of uh, some muscles for eversion, your fibularis uh, brevis connects right there. So if he's planting right there, trying to evert that foot, and then it kind of rolls under, you know, you could get some pressure on that fifth metatarsal as he plants on this. If he misses and steps on the side, kind of rolls his foot. He could break that or the Liz Frank, which we talked about, which um, takes away a lot of power. And that is uh, probably worst case scenario, but it seems like he's going to come back potentially mid-August. He had surgery on it. Um, I don't, but I haven't seen any more detail in that regard. And then finally, Steven Strasburg had a stress reaction on his ribs most likely because of the same kind of torque that we talked about with the obliques. I don't think there was any real um, impact or anything, just just overuse and stuff. And he's had a laundry list of injuries as well. I hope that you know he can overcome that and get back out there. And that brings us to our injured and recovered. I hope that I didn't run too, through that um, baseball rundown too quickly. There's a lot there, and uh, well, I'll keep up with it a little bit better as we go, but hopefully football will catch up here soon, not necessarily with injuries, but if it lets me talk about football a little bit more, I definitely will. Speaking of football injured is regional conferences. The Everybody knows the USC and UCLA have confirmed that they're joining the Big Ten in a couple of years. Once the TV rights and all that fig- are figured out, I think that they'll probably bring with them some teams like that brings the Big Ten to 16. So if they brought Oregon, 
Washington, Stanford, and Notre Dame potentially with them. You know, it'll be interesting to see if NBC renews their contract because that's the only thing keeping Notre Dame out of joining the ACC or Big Ten. Notre Dame used to be in the Big East for all sports except for, I think, hockey, which was the Big Ten because they kind of do their own thing. That's a very regional sport. And then football, they've always been independent. I think that the Big Ten would be glad to have Notre Dame, and I think that would be a lot more fun for me getting to see more of those uh, local regional matchups even as regional conferences die because the Big Ten now goes from New Jersey to – uh, yeah, Los Angeles. So it spans pretty much the whole map. And I think we're going to see, there's been a lot of talk about relegation. I think that would be fun if we just had kind of the best of the Big Ten and Pac-10 join together and then the best of the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 kind of join together. So we'd have like a North versus South run it through. And then the bottom team from each one switches with the top team from the remainder of the potential power five and then even with um you could even get like the double a the fcs teams in there just to mix things up there as well i don't know if they'd be able to compete with uh, scholarships and stuff but as the money game changes maybe that goes from year to year with these colleges anyway but that could potentially create some more fun matchups and as much as it is a bummer to say that you know they're Iowa might not get the chance to spoil Ohio State's year every couple of years, but I think they'll stick around. But uh, or in other conferences, that might be the case. Kansas doesn't get to beat Texas once every thirty years, but getting to see some of these color matchups—I mean, USC playing Penn State every year—is could be a lot of fun, even though it's going to be sucky for every sport. But football and seeing the equipment truck uh, one of my buddies sent me a map of a 41 hour drive from LA to wherever in New Jersey Rutgers is so there and back by the time you get there the next weekend you might be driving up to Mar- over to Maryland so that would make the USC equipment truck driver job a lot more they, they might have to work out a deal with the Big Ten to get a, a plane instead for when they jump over with this new contract. But, geez, that's not fun. Recovered is Zach Levine, and we'll just throw the next one out there too, Nikola Jokic. Zach Levine signed with the, re-signed with the Bulls for five years, $215 million, and Nikola Jokic, five years, $260 million. I think Nikola's was the, the greatest ever the largest contracts ever so it's it's that time of year where nba teams uh nba players become available for these big extensions and nba teams offer them uh you know zach levine might be gone in a couple of years i don't see nikola Jokic really trying to force his way out of anywhere but we've seen that these guys take these big contracts and then you know force teams to buy them out and go on somewhere else or it's, it is amazing. I mean, they're not contracts aren't worth the paper they're printed on, but it's amazing to see how they can manipulate it, especially because they have the power of saying, oh, they, they treat their stars poorly and then nobody will want to go there, which, again, if you can control the market like that, it's, it is refreshing to see a team like Milwaukee and Golden State who have, you know, homegrown stars and paid their own stars 
and one with their own stars to see them win like this because it kind of gives the you know credence to the fact that maybe doing it the quote-unquote right way uh, can work and it's not always good to just go out and buy these guys injured is the nets and Kyrie KD said he wanted to leave shortly after Kyrie said he wanted to stay and good for me top landing spots for KD are the heat and the or where he wanted the heat Phoenix I've also seen that there could be a potential Ky- KD and Kyrie swap by the Nets for Russ and Anthony Davis and maybe another role player by the Lakers. So LeBron, Kyrie, KD, that would be fun to watch. And then you'd have Russ, AD, and Ben Simmons, which would also be a fun um, kind of fire to watch burn, I guess, too. So... I don't think that that's very likely, and I kind of hope that KD lands on the heat because I think that he could be happy there for a long time. I think it would undoubtedly be his team. I think Jimmy Butler would appreciate having that and kind of playing Robin to KD's Batman, and I think the heat culture would treat KD as well as he would treat the heat. And then recovered the Lakers, who I said potentially had a chance at getting those guys after uh, Russ opted back in and they just have all that dead space between LeBron and Russ are two of the top four, I believe, highest paid players in the league right now. And between them, they average one great player and one Russell Westbrook. So if they can figure out a way to move him, especially to get a guy like Kyrie, that would be in their, to their benefit. But Kyrie just took a bunch of money too. So maybe it would work out better that way, but I don't know if you're, I mean, you're definitely getting a better player for less money. So, yeah, if they could figure out a way to do that, maybe tack on a role player, that would be definitely in their best interest. And it's more likely now to get them in a package than it would be to get them each one at a time. And then injured the Browns. They are There are more rumors of Baker Mayfield going to Seattle. There is There are more rumors of Deshaun Watson being ruled out indefinitely for at least a year anyway. And they are in the position that I feel like the Jaguars were in in 2017 where they have everything. You know, they have run game. They have solid receivers that you trust. They have a fantastic defense. I think they kind of shored that up a little bit this year, and they just don't have a quarterback. So if Deshaun Watson comes back for any stretch of time, enough to get them into the play you know have a real impact on the season or if Jacoby Brissett can keep him afloat and that's another thing do you really want if Jacoby Brissett's and kept them in a position to make the playoffs and Deshaun Watson comes back do you just go right back to Deshaun right away if you know that's the whole hot hand and it's just going to be a lot more issues than I think they anticipated with this whole thing which is a good thing. You know, you don't want anybody being rewarded for the type of behavior Deshaun Watson has, even if it is alleged at this point. Uh, he still has four open cases, and I think that no matter what, the there will be people on both sides, as the part of my take guys are saying, that some are going to say it's too harsh, some are going to say it's not enough. I think a year is probably going to be good, especially uh, just to kind of send a message to the rest of the league to say we don't you know 
we don't want to pay guys historic contracts like that. And also to say be consistent considering Roddy White got a year for nothing or for gambling, you know, in a game he didn't play in. And that'll wrap things up. Enjoy your 4th of July weekend, your extended weekend, and hopefully I'll get to see uh, Megan Fox hang out with MGK later. See ya.